on the Empire Podcast this week, Luke Evans stops trying to kill Smaug for five minutes and heads to the pod booth to talk about becoming the latest big screen Draculier. While do you hear? Do you hear? Do you hear? Dr. William Weir himself, a.k.a. Sam Neill, also slips into the pod booth to talk picky blinders. All that and the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I would love to help Terry Quattro slip in our new light bulb. Anytime you like, Terry. Anytime you like. That sounded ruder than intended. It sounded about as rude as you intended. I intended it to be very rude. It was pretty rude. Okie dokes. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Now, we're recording this on Thursday, October 2nd, National Poetry Day. Someone has said it's National Poetry Day, so therefore it is. So I've decided to introduce my three colleagues of such lethal cunning this week via the medium of first. And you thought this podcast couldn't get any worse. <laughs> Never read the comments. <laughs> First up, he's jolly and convivial and the king of all things cinematic and trivial. When you find the answer just doesn't want to come, you know you've just met Ali Plum. Did you know that uh, Paul no? Newman was often mistaken for Marlon Brando when he was uh, early on in his career and he used to just sign Marlon Brando best wishes? Really? Because he didn't, he didn't want to burst their bubble. That's amazing. Did you just make that up? That's a real fact? Yes. My word. You're a walking compendium. All right, here's another one. Kneel, you dogs! Kneel, I say! Your geek queen is here, and here to stay! Her dragons rage, from Croydon to Connie Mara. Swear your allegiance to Helen O'Hara! <laughs> I, feel, I mean, thank you. I feel like your scansion needs a little bit of work there, a little tweaking, perhaps. But, but you know, real real power there, real passion in, in well, your delivery. Great yeah. delivery. Good. So, uh, yeah, carry on. Excellent. Is this the first time you've ever heard a poem written about you? Oh, I've had many, many. No, yeah, I've yeah, read the graffiti. Many. Tweet in your poems <laughs> to at uh, EmpireMagazine.com. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> if you'd like to say something about any one of us. <laughs> All right, here's the last one. On an island green where raptors claw and T-Rexes stuff goats into the mighty maw. That's where you'll find him most of the time. This Jurassic Park fan with a surname that's bloody well nigh on impossible to rhyme. It's Nick Dissemblian! C minus. You're like Dr. Seuss's crap twin. <laughs> but thank you very much for the, for the poem. It took me a lot. five minutes to do that. Mm. Oh, thanks, guys. By the way, I was channeling uh, Richard Burton doing Under Milk Wood there. Really? I, don't know if you, I never would have guessed. I don't know if you gathered that. <laughs> I, thought it was uh, I thought it was Luke Evans. Sky, guys! Come on. All right, here we go. Here's a question from at John C.N. Harris. Who's the most punchable movie protagonist? Sounds like a great Empire podcast question. Yes, it is. Can't wait to hear it. Nick, how did this come about? Well, this came about, I watched Nightcrawler the other night, which is a phenomenal film, but it features Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, the most annoying... <laughs> I'm not sure annoying is the right word, because no. you just actually want to kill him. He's he's <laughs> kind of evil without really breaking the law, and he's just a horrible, vile, ghoulish kind of character. So I came out and, and tweeted something about wanting to punch him repeatedly. Lou Bloom. Lou okay. Bloom. <laughs> we'll be discussing that film in a month or so. How about that? Yeah, yeah the, the marketing other, campaign yeah. has been quite clever because they've been all the emails have been from Lou Bloom. Yes. Lou Bloom. <laughs> there we go. And there's a couple of really nice posters out there for it. Do check it out. So Nick then tweeted that he wanted to punch Lou Bloom. And then John C. Harris said, uh, John C. Harris said, who's the most punchable movie protagonist? Nick, you started this whole bandwagon rolling. Well, I hate to cut this short, but I, I have the correct answer. Okay. I'm just going to say two words. Mariska Hagedai. <laughs> it is, of course, the love guru. 
how, how can anyone be more punchable than the Love Guru? The Riot Club, the whole of the Riot Club, okay, are pretty I punchable. Seen that. I mean, genuinely, they they need a punch. They use the word "mate" in that film to mean about sixteen different things, most of which are insults. Oh my wow! It's such a bunch of bloody, ruddy, awful chunderbusses. They're <laughs> awful. I hate mate, them. mate, but mate. They mate. meant they're meant to be awful, aren't they? They are, but they really are. So, so they get. Do any of them at any point say "Marichka Hagiday"? <laughs> Repeatedly for That's two true. hours. They don't. They isn't, don't. Isn't that the film's greatest joke when he goes "Mariska Hagiday, Mariska Hagiday," and she turns up in a cameo? Uh, so our colleague Dan memorably uh, referred to that film as a laugh necropolis, <laughs> which is spot on. Howard the Duck. Oh, he's on my list as well. He'd get a punch right in the bill. And I think he'd like it because he's dirty like that. <laughs> I would also suggest, and this is another, well, is this really a protagonist when he's kind of playing himself? But James Franco, as James Franco in This Is The End, would get a solid fist-in-mouth connection delivered by me. Mm, that seems fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems fair. Mm-hmm. There are quite a lot of them out there. I mean, I remember uh, I was having a, a discussion on, I think, Twitter a few months ago about the punchability of Paul Dano. Now, he is, by all accounts, an absolutely lovely man. However, he does have a face... Oh, come on now. I know what Helen's saying. He he plays characters, let's say, who have faces... Who you want to punch or hit smack with a, with a bowling pin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not to you know, not to the extent that Daniel Plainview did, because mm. hey, kids, violence—it's bad. Don't do it. It is bad. But um, but I mean, even I thought Ruby Sparks was somewhat, you know, um, weakened by the fact that I I just didn't get behind him at any point because I wanted to punch him. I um, yeah, this is an interesting question. I think because there are lots of people in movie history we've talked about this I think we've actually talked about our favourite movie punches in the podcast in the, in the past you know and, and, and a lot of people who deserve to get punched get punched so Richard Thornburg William Atherton's character in Die Hard gets punched deservedly so but there are a lot of people I think who don't get punched who really really need one Frodo <laughs> no Frodo needs a massive fist in the what are you kisser. saying he's he carries he's a ring of power bloody. Across yeah. Middle Earth. And he doesn't shut up about it. Oh, oh, Sam, my burden, my... Sa- oh, it's so heavy, Sam. Punch him in the face! I can't believe That's what That's not I'm a hearing. direct quote, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're worse than Sauron. Mr. Frodo, give me your face. There you go. Done. Give me the bloody ring. Movie over. We can all go home now. Grab a bird. Let's go. <laughs> Grab a bird. <laughs> I would also suggest Max from Rushmore. He's a totally... Oh, God, yes. yes. Totally head in curb job uh, yes. he's a he's a real I mean Wes Anderson's movies are full of these you could also say mm. the royal of Roy, royal Tenenbaums after pretending to have cancer to get close with his kids could be could be you know worthy of a knuckle sandwich uh, also I want to suggest although he's not a lead character and it's not a real film but uh, <laughs> but Mark Williams might get a I would say kneecap to the jaw Ooh. who? Mutt Mutt Williams, aka Mutt Jones, aka the real Indiana Jones. Genuinely didn't know who that character was for a second. I was going, "What?" I don't understand. I don't remember him from any of the three Indiana Jones films. So this joke was brought to you from 1999. I I think we could punch this joke into the ground, but no, genuinely, I I was uh, a bit worried about that one. Um, I'm not an advocate of punching children. I don't, and I don't I like where this is going I don't like to, I don't normally back it I don't normally throw my weight behind it but you know um, Kevin from Home Alone punch him oh I thought you I'm were I'm gonna... siding with the burglars 
I thought you were going to say Last Airbender. Anyone in The Last Airbender. Anyone involved in The Last Airbender. I, I think Richie Rich might actually get a... Richie Rich more yeah. than Kevin, actually. Although Kevin is a, a junior psychopath. Like, I think that... <laughs> I genuinely think that movie is that more dangerous... I younger. That movie is more dangerous for kids than any Reservoir Dogs or any of that nonsense. Reservoir Dogs shows that the consequences of violence are bad. You bleed horribly and die. Home Alone shows that you can drop a heated iron on a man's face from a great height and he'll just have a comedy mark. You know, it's not a great message for kids or indeed humans. Hey, James Bond learned everything he knows from Kevin from Home Alone. (laughs) And he's a psycho as well. You'd like to punch James Bond, would you? I would like to punch James Bond. To be James fair, Bond. he has been punched a few times. Usually hit in the back of the head, isn't he? I remember you guys noticing when you he watched does, them yeah. all back to back. He You can sneak up at James Bond very, very easily. I'm going to uh, throw in Edward Furlong as John Connor in Terminator 2, a movie I love, but my God, that brat needs slapped. Uh, and uh, Charlie Chaplin. What? Just punch him. No. Punch that With a bread roll. Oh, my. Yeah, People punch him with a bread roll. a bread roll on each fist. People punch him all the time. That's his problem. It's so no, unfair. He needs a good punching. Next question is from at Darren Hinchy, who says, what's the best use of a real film in a film? E.g. The Quiet Man in E.T. That is good. I think the best use is Cinema Paradiso. It's well, the wheel of kisses at the end. It's brilliant. That would be the best one. Well, that's just cheating, isn't it? Mm, yes, by having mm. the right answer. It's about, it's about a cinema. That's just cheating. No, but they have they play the reel of excised kisses mm-hmm. from yeah. all these films that have been censored from all these films. They play it together at the end, and it's gorgeous. That is a good one. How about the Sonny Chiba double double bill, triple bill in uh, True Romance? True Romance. Mm. Very good. I know uh, I, one of my friends has actually done that. Really? He's actually watched those films in that order because he loves True Romance so much. Good for him. Was he then yeah. chased down by the mob? Um, yeah, I haven't heard from him for ages. <laughs> was, was, was there a lady in a neon green bra at any point? Uh, a prostitute? Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll find out. Get, ask him. Probably. Ask him. Better Tomorrow too pops up in True Romance as well. You love that. I do love that. In a movie called Sleepless in Seattle. That's on my list too. There is a movie called An Affair to Remember Black. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Blaffair to Remember Black. Blaffair to Remember Black. Uh, no, there's obviously... It's a silly girls film, I think. Oh my God. Someone calls it. In the movie, in the movie, <laughs> not me. It's a movie based on that movie and they play with it, so it's pretty good. It's often the geekiest directors who, who cram other movies into the film, so mm. obviously Edgar Wright, the, the Bad Boys 2, Point Break, Double Bill, In the Middle of Hot Fuzz, and Joe Dante is really good at it. Yeah, pretty very, much very all his films it. have got other films popping up. Obviously Gizmo watching uh, Rambo, First Blood, mm-hmm. in Gremlins 2. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Just Watch the Burbs, where mm-hmm. uh, Tom Hanks is freaking out while there's sort of a montage of different horror films yeah. playing on the TV. Race of the Devil and The Exorcist. and Yeah. And then obviously Snow White, Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. tons. We, I think we mentioned Shawshank Redemption most times, don't we? Yeah. Gilda, isn't it? Shout out to The Shining in, in the classic Twister, Dumbo in 1941, and of course, Halloween at the beginning of Scream. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Yes, uh, Your expression no, sorry. Said no, no, no so I was trying to think of something else. Um, no, not at the beginning of the screen, but uh, towards the end when everyone, they're watching Halloween at, uh, at, at, at whose house is it? I can't remember whose house. But they're, they're watching, watching Halloween and then at one point Randy is oh, left watching right. it on his own yeah. while Ghostface is behind him and he's yelling out at the TV and they all get very, very excited about it. I'm, su- um, I'm surprised no one's mentioned Log Jamming from uh, The Big Lebowski because that is a real film, right? That is a real film. That is absolutely. I certainly film. wouldn't want to be the one to tell you otherwise. You've had that on your rental list on yes. Amazon Instant for a while, and it just <laughs> hasn't yeah. arrived yet. Just if you can find it, just you know, you know where I tweet. 
Good questions this week. Uh, here's the last one. This is via email from Stephen Fairbanks, who asks, Hello, Pod. I was watching Gone Girl last night, which I very much enjoyed, and I wondered, in terms of directorial quality, what's the most dependable first name for a director? I thought the answer was obviously David, i.e. Fincher, Lynch, Lean, Cronenberg, but can you think of any other names? Any other Davids, first of all? Yes, David or Russell. David or Russell, David Lowry, who did Ain't Them Body Saints. Mm-hmm. Any other Davids? Sure, lots. Lots of Davids. Well done, Davids. I have an interesting spin-off thing from this. I was thinking how many individual first names are used just to define a single director. So, here are some examples. You know who I'm talking about when I say... McGee. <laughs> Ridley, Clint, Woody, yes. Quentin, Walt, Orson, Buster, Hayo. Uh-huh. It's just interesting how there are these one-off... Oh, Woody, right, yeah, I get it. But in terms of answering this question, Billy or William or Will, because you've got William Wilder, William Wyler, William Friedkin, Bill Condon, Bill Forsyth, and he's only done two movies and they haven't been that good, but Billy Bob Thornton. Bill Paxton directed as Bill well. Bill Paxton, yes, frailty. Stick it in there. Good movie. I'm, I'm firmly in the John camp. <laughs> um, we got McTiernan, we got Ford, we got Wu, we got oh. Waters, mm-hmm. we got Hughes, we got Landis. Beat that that's Carpenter, very solid Carpenter. That's a big camp. That's a that's a huge camp. Camp David. I was I was going to say Stephen just because you get Spielberg and Soderbergh and then you just rest your case really. Um, is that Stephen with a V? Sorry, mm. Stephen mm-hmm. who asked the question. Um, uh, Spike, pretty dependable. Not very many of them, but they're but good. A really good hitting ratio for those who uh, Jones who are Lee. Spike. Anyone else? Any other uh, I've basically got Jones and Lee. Spike the dog from Tom and Jerry. Do <laughs> you make anything? Uh, Takashi. Yes. Also up there. <laughs> also up there. Um, Gus. Wes's Craven and Anderson. That's um, true. Uh, George. Okay. Romero. Clooney. Lucas. Pal. And Romero. Not That's good. bad. That's good. Not yeah. a bad little Kukor, Kukor as well. Kukor, yeah. Thank you. We're forgetting the obvious one. Ingmar. Ingmar. God, how many of them? Yeah. Ingmar Smith, Jones, Wesson, yeah. uh, Winchester. Are you um, just naming guns now? Colt, Ingmar Colt, yep. he was good. Ingmar, shotgun. He was good. Yeah, Bergman, Bregman. Gatling. Batman. Yeah, and, all, all um, the Ingmars. Swordfish. All of them. Uh, Sam Fuller, Sam Peckinpah. I'm going to represent the Some Kens. People. we got oh. Branagh, we got Loach, we got Russell, we got Burns, and best of all, we got Ken Corder. Ken oh. bloody Corder! Oh, yeah. Good work. Oh, yeah. yeah, I actually think Ken was a very good pull from deep mm. within your memory bag. Mm-hmm. Hands off to you. Strong. Michael, there's some Michaels. Chimino. Uh-huh. Um, Presburger, Powell, one of them. Powell, <laughs> Powell. Um, you've yeah. got let's see, uh, Mike Newell, Winterbottom. Yes, Mike Winterbottom. Yes, Corleone, um, <laughs> Spielberg. <laughs> In between two and three, he made lots of films. I'm not sure we've got we've come up with a really scientific. Um, it's not scientific. I think Will, John, here. and George are good shouts. I think John, John was good. All right, thank you for your questions. If you want to uh, have your question read out in the podcast, and why the hell would you? But if you do, uh, do tweet us. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast, or chances are we won't see it. Facebook us. Emperor Magazine is what we are on Facebook, and you can email us as well. Podcast at Empire Online. Dot com. Right, okie dokie. Time now for our first interview of the pod, uh, which sees Luke Evans return to the booth. The last time the Welsh actor was here, he was talking about his supporting role 
in the desolation of Smirg, Smaug, Smirg, Smog, as Bard Le Bowman, the ace archer who was last seen being spied on by Stephen Colbert. But now he's up front and centre as the latest big screen incarnation of Draculaer in, yes, Draculaer Untold, which is an origin tale showing how Flad the Impaler became a monstrous sucker. Bloodsucker. Evans came along recently to talk to myself and Ali Bloody Plum. Enjoy. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the uh, Empire Pod booth by Luke Evans, star of Dracula Untold. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. How's it going? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, marvellous. Very good. Very happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, good to be walking abroad during the day, I imagine. Uh, yes, with a, yeah, big glasses, sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of Factor 800. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Factor 800. <laughs> the usual stuff. For when you started, when you got this role and you were looking at doing research for it, did you go to a documentary by Christopher Lee called In Search of Dracula, in which he just explores the the myth, the legend of Vlad the Imperial. Is he in it or is it just his voice? He just narrates. He appears on camera, but he just uh, he narrates mm, it. I might have seen it. I, yeah. I saw a hell of a lot of documentaries. I mean, YouTube is full of them. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really interesting. So I could have seen it. I might have seen it. But uh, oh, it, was, it was a while ago now, so I can't remember. <laughs> I'm hopefully going to meet... Christopher Lee at Christmas at the premiere of The Hobbit so I'm very excited about that oh my god that's going to be amazing yeah. for a second you said I was going to meet Dracula <laughs> yeah, yeah. well I am going to meet Dracula in a you way are. aren't I yeah. yeah and he's going to meet Dracula too it's going to be great <laughs> it's going to be great <laughs> is that notes. possible are we allowed to be in the same room at the same time <laughs> I think so that's I a whole so. lot of darkness <laughs> just make sure you're both wearing capes yeah yeah but he was a count and I'm a prince mm. that's the difference I'm a prince in this one can you I'm, I'm confused by how that works can you get promoted to become a count from a prince how does, how does that work I don't know I think he might yeah. become a count later on in his life after he'd uh, become full vamp so <laughs> uh, I don't know obviously this film you see the man um, the, the man that's who you start with you start with the human being so uh, he's uh, he's Prince Vlad the real human being the historical figure that uh, walked this earth mm-hmm. in the 1400s mm-hmm. yeah so it's a it's a very different story to the Bram Stoker one that most people will be assuming this is um, but it's not it's completely different but how do, you, how do you find a way into that because Vlad the Impaler as the name might suggest was given to impaling people on things and there, there's a, there's a general I'd imagine darkness to that character, but this this Vlad is much more of a romantic hero, a well, dashing type. The, the beginning of the film, you, you, it's uh, there, there's an introduction to the history of of his of who he is, and uh, you, you see that he was reared as a child. His father gave him and his son, his brother, away to as a sort of peace treaty to the to the the first sultan of the Turkish Empire. And uh, it was sort of he was they, they the, those boys were then reared as as Turkish warriors mm. as royal hostages, but they they were they were taught all these torture techniques and uh, and then Vlad obviously came back to reclaim his throne as a as a teenager as a, as a young man and uh, in our film you know he uh, he puts that person to bed he puts that character away he locks the door in the dungeon and uh, that what that armor is put away and. Mm. He then reigns over a peaceful land, which he also did for ten years. There was a there was peace in the country was called Wallachia. Not many people know about that, but mm. yeah. And then, you know, it all starts to go tits up. I can say that. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, he he digs out this uh, this. Well, the, the armor comes second. The first thing that comes is this uh, this search for power. Yeah. And he goes right to the darkest point he could go. The, the darkest, dirtiest uh, place he could find, and he finds this ominous creature played by Charles Dance, brilliantly portrayed by Charles Dance, mm. 
and uh, and acquires these powers. But obviously, with these powers comes much worse things. So uh, yeah, were you given the power to call him Charlie? Because I know that's an important thing. People do call him Charlie. I didn't call him Charlie. I only I, I was only with him for four days. I thought I'd just better keep it polite. And when he had those massive nails. The nails. I yeah. It's interesting because in the scene where he touches my face with the nails, you can just hear the nails scraping over my stubble. <laughs> if you if you listen very closely, you can hear it. And he taps my face. <laughs> he actually he worked with those nails very well. It was quite quite cool. But he's a good guitar player as well. I can imagine with those with those bad boys. Yeah, he could probably yeah, yeah or a harpist or a harpist. Yeah, F- famous vampires for being. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of myth to this. Obviously, with any vampire movie, it's it's, a, it's how it works, how it becomes. In this one, it's a very dramatic moment where you become a vampire. What What's it like pretending to drink blood? From, I should point out, half a broken skull. <laughs> From half a broken skull, yes. Yeah, that was nice. That yeah. was lovely. Yeah, he cracks it and... and well, it, it, the consistency is very, very similar to blood, uh, I've been told. Um <laughs> We and we sort of experimented. Well, I didn't. I was. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. I just had to drink whatever they gave me. But we went from a mixture of uh, beetroot juice and cherry juice uh-huh. to the pickups. It was then a, a very strong, sweet, sickly licorice syrup, which was blacker than it was earlier in the in the shoot. Obviously, being black, obviously because it was coming from the veins of a very uh, old, mm. decrepit, sinister master vampire. So. Uh, and that stuff was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. So when you see that face I'm making, it's because it's so disgustingly sick, sickly sweet. And uh, yeah, and I had to drink. I had to drink so much of it. It was horrible, <laughs> absolutely horrible. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it looks good and it, it looks the right consistency. But yeah, no, yeah, I wouldn't be. I you suffer for your art. Yeah, one does. Is it is that an occasion where you're basically? Yeah, I just want to nail this in one take. This is it. Or is Gary Shore basically? At that point, Cooper's not a one-take director, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, no, I mean we, the scene deserved a few more takes than that, so I was prepared to drink for for a while. But uh, it, it, it's a fantastic scene; it's very powerful. It's, mm. it's sort of a it's a, it's a a landmark in the transition of of Vlad's story, and you know that's the beginning of his transition into becoming the, the vampire. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a very powerful moment, and I think Charles Charlie, as I like to call him, did a brilliant job. He was only in for like four days. Did that all in four He's days. A He's a real pro, and uh, you know, as a as an actor who's only been in films for like six years, when you get to work opposite somebody like Charles, you're just yeah. like, this is I'm I'm really lucky, you know, I'm really lucky, and he. He's he's got his face pressed up against mine. He's scratching my face. It's just like this is awesome. I love it. You also get to wear this the suit of armor that you've alluded to, mm. which has these glorious big dragon like emblems. Like it's you look like an absolute tank. I hope you know mm. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's monstrous. Is there any chance you got to take it home? I know the answer is no. And the answer is no. And uh, I didn't even try or attempt to. I mean, li- listen, when you've worn that for four months, and Gary Shaw is asking you to do the most impossible moves in that armor. My, my my whole torso was covered in bruised pinch marks from where I was having to just contort myself into shapes that are not meant for men in armor. Um, it, I'm quite happy that I never see that armor again. <laughs> I'm sure it'll end up on some in some glass cabinet somewhere in the Universal uh, 
uh, buildings somewhere in the world. Um, it looks incredible, and that's the most important thing. I mean, the, it's incredibly dramatic, and it, it plays a very strong role because it's like he's putting on his old skin and he goes back to being the Impaler character, mm-hmm. you know, this vicious, dark man who uses those that 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 person he brings that person back to life along with his vampiric powers which he's now acquired so yeah it 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 plays its role and it's obviously become the star of the the posters as well i mean it really stands out it's it's amazing sure. it's incredible mm. it looks brilliant really it doesn't, brilliant it doesn't stand out quite as much as dominic cooper's gold <laughs> armor and i don't i don't want you to say it's the wrong way but was it difficult to take him seriously <laughs> Well, you have to remember, you probably don't remember because I was on, I had such little screen time in the film I'm about to explain. Um, Clash of the Titans, which was my first ever movie, I played Apollo. And in the very small amount of time I'm on that screen, you will see that I'm in bright gold armor. So <laughs> I had Im- immense empathy for the boy. I didn't laugh at him. I didn't make him feel uncomfortable because I knew exactly what it feels like to look like a R- uh, C3PO um, with a hat. <laughs> Fair enough. You see this in the trailer, and it's that big kind of watch me moment in the trailer where you assembling a hundred of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of bats, yeah. transform those bats into a massive fist, yeah, which that's... has been everyone's daydream, obviously. Oh, yeah. And then you slam it into like ten, tens of thousands of Turks. When you were doing that, obviously, during the shoot, you were just, you know, punching the ground. Yeah. How did it feel to actually watch that on screen? Well, I'm just glad all those uh, broken knuckles, skin on my knuckles, was worth it. Frankly, um, I I was I love that moment. I think it 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 has excuse the pun. It's very impactful. Uh, I think it works brilliantly well, and it's um, it's what's lovely about it. And I'm being you know very philosophical here, but it's. We are go that the fact that he uses bats goes back to not just Bram Stoker's story. It goes back to Eastern European folklore. Bats have always been associated with vampires, and that he the vampires always have had the power of these creatures. So the fact that he uses them to such an extent with mm. such ability and in, like such power, I think it's I think it's great. It's an it's honoring folklore from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which I think is a brilliant thing. Yeah, and you also we were discussing this mm. on the way down here. I don't think there's been a Dracula on screen that's killed more people than you. That's probably true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he. Yeah. He's he obliterates uh, that army. Yeah. He well, they should have had. They shouldn't have had their blindfolds on. Frankly, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> in one in one scene alone, big you, mistake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you rack up a bigger body count in that one scene alone than Christopher Lee did in seven films. Well, there we go. Which isn't too shabby. I will, at I'll, all. Be, I'll be reminding him of that at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Over a, over a sherry or two. <laughs> But because you're playing Flood, I guess it's easier to throw off the shackles of history because this is a role that has been played by multiple actors across multiple movies in nearly a century's worth of cinema. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, are you conscious of that? And are you also in this, at the same time trying to include little nods to Dracula's past, Lugosi and Lee and Oldman, people like that? Um, well, yes, they, I mean, I'm very, they're very present in my mind and were present from the second I said yes to the movie. And obviously I... I not that they were a reference, really, because it was the Bram Stoker story that's been been um, portrayed mm. in film always. But it was nice to, for me, I think, as as an actor, to just see the legacy of the of this character on screen and see the different actors and the different portrayals of this of this character over the over the decades, mm. almost a hundred years. It's been shown on the silver screen, so it was nice for me to go back and just. 
made myself aware of what I was getting myself involved with and, and what baton I was actually picking up and, and, uh, and responsibility uh, that I had to give it something special and, and, and do something different with it. And, I mean, the easy part was I was telling a different story, a completely different story, an origin story which hadn't been done. So I immediately felt like I could separate myself from that to an extent. Yeah. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I'm Dracula. I am the new Dracula. So it's, uh, it's a, it, I feel very lucky. I feel very honored. I feel very... Uh, I feel like I'm now part of a, a family of actors that have, you know, been going since 1932. So uh, it's quite, quite a privilege. One thing you do, which I was I was pleased with, but I was also it's a bit of a shame, is that you do an English kind of more received pronunciation. <laughs> Did you want me to do a Transylvanian accent? <laughs> there was a small part of me that wanted. I want to suck your blood. That was obviously <laughs> never going to happen in a million years. But would you? Would you tend imagine to imagine that? Can you imagine <laughs> Dracula? Um, Dracula. Was that ever ever on the table? I think once you've heard the brilliant Gary Oldman do his Transylvanian accent. I think we shouldn't go near it. And we also have the Turkish accent from uh, yeah. Dominic Cooper. He's doing a brilliant Turkish accent. So, you know, too many accents can uh, can get in the way. So uh, it, it didn't feel necessary to give him one of those. But I'm sorry to uh, yeah, upset I, you. But, uh, I kind of wanted a Welsh accent as well. Oh, okay, well, I'll dub it. Thank you so I'll much. I'll dub it in for, Welsh for you. For Would the you Blue release. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the world no longer needs a hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. <laughs> is that Stork, good? You see, Stork, that's what they needed in that trailer. You know, that, got Stalking in. Newport. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of monsters in Newport. <laughs> so uh, last time I spoke to you was on uh, Ben Wheatley's High Rise ah, uh, a few weeks yes, ago. Yes. Uh, which just looks fantastic. That's going to come out next year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early next year, I think. Yeah. And that one, you are playing a Welsh monster. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to describe him. <laughs> uh, there's a few more I'd like to describe him as. I mean, he's, he's some, he's a, he is a character. I mm. mean, some, far removed from anything I've ever done. And I guess that was the attraction in the first place to, you know, really shock myself as much as uh, everybody else on the set as to what I could do with his character. And I was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to explain him really because mm. he's he's called the agitator in the book. He's he, he, but he's an observer and he, 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 he what Vlad the agitator? <laughs> no, no, no. We're on about we're on about Richard Wilder <laughs> and Vlad the agitator. Yeah, he could be. He's an agitator too. He's an aggravator. He's aggravated. No, but Richard Wilder is this. Uh, he's the sanest person in the building, covered mm. in a cloak of craziness. <laughs> uh, yeah, sold. But it's interesting to say that this is a role, uh, Richard Wilder, that uh, in which you've you've done things you've never done before on screen. Given that over the last few years alone, you've you know, well, we haven't seen it yet, but you're about to shoot at the dragon with a big arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've you played Bard the Bowman, uh, Dracula. Uh, you've 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 taken on the Fast and Furious team as well, Clash the Titans. This is not a bad little CV for, as you say, just six years. Yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah, <laughs> my God. <laughs> God, yeah, you've just reminded You've me. You've crammed a lot in. Yeah. 
I feel old all of a sudden. Can I ask how it feels to be Jason Statham's brother? <laughs> Quite cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm, if ever I'm in a, a, a sticky situation, I'm just going to call him up and say, listen, I know you're not really my brother, but do you fancy just coming up and standing up for me a minute? Yeah, I'm just having a chat with Christopher Lee and things are getting out of hand. Yeah, could you come and give him a wallop? Yeah. Yeah, we've had too many sherries. Yeah. No, Statham's great. Um, he's he's a great man. He's very he's very fun and uh, he's 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 good to work with. I've worked with him twice now, so um, yeah, it's it's fun. And uh, yeah, he's cool. Wouldn't you want Jason Statham to be your older brother? Come you have on. no idea. Constantly, you know, defending you and pulling you out of sticky situations. Perfect, perfect brother to have. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have much trouble with girls, does he? Yeah, no, he doesn't. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> On that note, Luke, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so oh, much for coming It's been a pleasure. In. Thanks Thank for you. having me in. Thank you. I enjoy the way you say Dracula. Is that how they say it in the film? No. Oh. Yeah, of course they do. do. A Draculia. Draculia. I am Draculia. There's at least two extra consonants <laughs> in there. I am Draculia Untulde. Very peculiar. Yeah. I'm a peculiar I, Draculia. I, I spell it Draculia. L-I-E-R, yeah. yeah. That's Draculia. what I'm hearing. Uh, so that was Luke Evans. What a lovely man. Isn't he? I've lovely a, man. I've got a lovely photograph of lovely him with lovely me, and he is lovely and tall, but he decided to stoop to conquer, and he, he nuzzled in, and he looks shorter than me, so nuzzled, now I look he good. He nuzzled in? Did he nuzzle in? With, his, with his hands. Can you nuzzle with your hands? <laughs> I don't remember there being any nuzzling. He, well, he wasn't nuzzling you, maybe. Uh, no, no. It's getting pretty hot and steamy in this yeah, booth. I think he... Right, we'll be reviewing Dracula Untold later on in the podcast. Are they going to rename it to Dracula Told once it's out? <laughs> you really should. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula maybe, maybe for the Blu-ray and DVD. That's oh. Dracula told. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk some movie news now, shall we? No. Okay, Yay. let's move on to the second <laughs> guest. He's a man I've long... No, okay, let's, let's do some movie news. Mm. Custom Dictates. The, the format we arbitrarily imposed on ourselves 131 episodes ago dictates yeah. that we must do movie news now. I think we have a tendency mm. to start with a news story that's actually of interest. And I want to start with something that has no interest <laughs> to anybody at all. Okay, set the I, mood here. Yeah. I tweeted this with the words... The Angry Birds movie reveals its voice cast continues to be a thing. Yes, the Angry Birds movie has no sign in any way of deciding to stop. It feels like this should have been out years ago, shouldn't it? I mean, Angry Birds... There was an article, like, two days ago saying that they dropped 60 million users over the past couple of years. They still have 200 million users worldwide. I'll admit, there there was a point where I was into Angry Birds, and I was playing it quite a bit, and I even bought the board game for someone as a gift. There's quite a fun game where you get an actual catapult and you you fling stuff at other stuff. Mm. But I haven't haven't even thought about Angry Birds for... It just seems this is taken a long it's, time to get together but you know maybe that's because they've been working on the script working and working, working on it and working getting it perfect and working well I think one of the reasons why uh, if I'm right in thinking they, they, the, the cast names re- were revealed by people playing the game so that once they actually is this right once players playing the game blasted a billion blocks is that right destroyed a, a billion birds or, or through I mean, it was or, the billion it was a, bi- it was a billion birds the Good to see we're on top of this story, but anyway. What is it? it? Which one's the big? Uh, Anyway, so the aim of the game is to fling birds, of course, explosive suicidal bomber birds. Some Uh, of them, some of them, not all. Suicide bomber birds, not bomber birds. Suicide bomber birds at a poorly constructed brick slash wooden house, which has some pigs inside, which are, of course, green. Uh, Well, you're oversimplifying something, um, which is actually very complex. You're right. (laughs) I'm just going to read out the press release because... As I was writing the news story about this, I just didn't know how to do it justice. Here, here it is. Okay. Jason Sudeikis... Yes, we like him. ...will lead the cast as Red, a bird with a temper problem, as opposed to all the other birds. 
Josh Gad, in his first animated role since Frozen... Oh, mention Frozen. ...plays Speedy Chuck. Yes. Mm. And Danny McBride... You like him? ...portrays the volatile bomb. Oh, he's so volatile. Bill Hader... Yes, we like him. ...has joined the pork side. Ooh. Oh. Maya Rudolph... Is that meant to be like Dark Side? ...will play yeah. Matilda. Yeah. Who's Matilda? I don't remember a Matilda in the game. Peter Dinklage... We like him. ...will play the legendary... Mighty Eagle. Yes. Do you have to pay for him to appear in the movie? Earmarked for a July... That was a very clever... The first 2016 release in the US. Angry Birds is directed by two relatively unknown Do you think they came up with this this voice cast by flinging birds (laughs) at people in Hollywood, seeing who they hit? (laughs) Can I answer that question honestly? Yeah. No. Okay. I think this is a really good cast. It's a very good cast. And I do like the idea that um, you have to pay. I think this is the first ever in-movie... Uh, purchase. <laughs> you have to. If the movie's not good enough for you, you pay sixty nine p, and he shows up in your screening. He is. You have, he, you have to do it for the Mighty Eagle. You see, in the game, you have to pay money at the game to get the Mighty Eagle. Peter, oh my God, people! Peter Dinklage has been getting a bit of flack recently. Have you heard about this? Um, he this this hot new game Destiny, which he voices a ro- kind of robot sidekick, mm. and there's been a lot of uh, talk about how his voice performance is not very good. So it's going to be interesting to see. Wait, this... hang on, hang on. Are you telling me that somewhere out there people yeah. are criticising Peter Dinklage? Yeah. This it, will not stand. Yeah. If he literally did it over a phone, then that may have been a bad <laughs> That's move. That's what is being speculated. There is a YouTube video, which is a compilation of all, all the oh, really? line deliveries. It's quite entertaining. I heard that one of the lines he says in the game is, I have to say, what? Well, the dialogue is not great in the first place. <laughs> so I'm not sure it's entirely his fault. But anyway, it's interesting that he's coming back and doing more voice stuff. He's also appearing in another game-related movie called... Game of... What, what's happening? Have we forgotten, or are you just building up tension? I don't... Pixels. Yeah, okay. Pixels, that's <laughs> it! Okay. Oh, you ruined it. Oh, you it. ruined the delayed release. Uh, yeah, well, he plays a super gamer, super arcade gamer, who teams up with none other than Adam Sandler, Adam who Sandler. I will neatly segue oh. with oh, and into beautiful. and onto with Nick's story, which involves oh, somebody called Adam Sandler. I do like a slick segue. Well... Allow me to ruin it. Yes, like ancient soothsayers of yore, we have predicted the future. <laughs> we have been running an extended feature online on Empire Online um, about the future of cinema, the future of future of everything. Really, I don't think that's that's stating it too much. Um, <laughs> we've talked about lasers. We've talked about piracy. We've talked about women. It's amazing. There's tons Everything. of tons of amazing stuff. Go and check it out. But one of the uh, one of the predictions was that Netflix are going to move into making films, not just showing them, and it has come true very quickly um, because Netflix are going to be creating four movies that's the good news tell me Nick what are the amazing movies that we can get excited about for Netflix well they've worked with the likes of David Fincher and Kevin Spacey great talents Um, so we're going to get four Adam Sandler movies wait what yeah Four Adam Sandler Record movies. scratch. We don't have we don't have titles. We don't have plots. They may not end up with plots. I don't um, think they need either of those things. But I have a statement from Adam Sandler. I think I would watch a movie called Adam Sandler Netflix Movie One. Please actually read this statement. I feel like I know what's coming here. Yeah, and it, it's like one of those statements. He hasn't given his demands yet, but there must surely be a way of stopping this. Okay, so. Adam Sandler has said, When these fine people came to me with an offer to make four movies for them, I immediately said yes for one reason and one reason only. Netflix rhymes with wet chicks. Let the streaming begin. See, there's two jokes in there. Already he's given them two jokes for free. Can we go back to punchable movie characters? (laughs) Little Nicky could get a punch, and I tell you more than him, 
is Billy Madison. Oh, God, yes. Could get punch him. a big fat punch. I love Adam Sandler, but maybe overstating it. I quite like Adam I Sandler. I have loved I Adam Sandler. I may be overstating it. I have loved Adam Sandler movies in the past, and I will continue to do so in the future. You are a That's My Boy apologist. I am a That's My Boy apologist. I absolutely... I tried watching that on Netflix at your uh, at your behest, because yes. you had been convincing me, trying to convince me that it was good. Yes. I made it about ten minutes in. Uh, <laughs> but let's not forget, of course, that it's not just Adam Sandler movies that he's been in. The man has produced so many great American uh, classics. Juice Bigelow would not exist without Adam Sandler. I'm undermining yeah. my argument here, aren't I? Joe Dirt bit. would mm-hmm. not exist without Adam Sandler. I'll be quiet now. Wow, uh, things are really like falling apart <laughs> for you right now. <laughs> that Pop, one really went badly. Pop trivia quiz. Yes. What is the name of Adam Sandler's production company? Happy Madison. Yes. Mm. Helen, you get five points. Thank you. But anyway, let's not, let's not turn this into a big, a big piling up on Adam Sandler because, you know, you don't have to watch his films. The exciting thing here is that genuinely the news that Netflix are making their own movies and they're also doing Crouching Tiger uh, which is a Winnie the Pooh spin-off um, Hidden Dragon 2 which Helen will love because it's got a hidden dragon in it um, it's true uh, mm, yeah. which is shooting at the moment in New Zealand oh wow yeah our old friend of the magazine Bay Logan is, is one of the producers and um, yeah it's being shot directed by the martial arts um, choreographer of the Matrix films awesome but the interesting thing about this and the Adam Sandler thing is what it makes uh, sorry what it'll do for the distribution model going forward because uh, already Netflix have announced this week that they will be releasing Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon 2 on Netflix on the same day that it hits IMAX cinemas in the US. Now this is something that's been happening for a while I guess, VOD, lots of movies are getting cinematic releases in in the States and over here. Uh, You can download films now on your Skybox some films on your skybox the same day that they're in cinemas they came together as the most is a fairly recent example but um, cinema companies in the in the states and I believe Cineworld in Europe have said that we're not going to take Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon 2 as a as a sign of protest over this we yeah, think they're, they're cannibalising our business they're, they're trying to preserve the traditional 12 week window yes. there have been uh, rumblings about this before if you remember I think it was Alice in Wonderland they tried to get that out on DVD and Blu-ray within the 12 week window and, uh, and before, some cinema chains before uh, people came to their senses some cinema chains uh, refused to show it as a result so there may be elements of that still going on I think listen we're in a time of flux in terms of distribution so I think there's going to be more flux but it is interesting Net to see Netflix Netflix but it is interesting to see Netflix put so much skin in the game I was going to say well we actually had uh, Ted Sarandos who's the president of Netflix mm-hmm. come into our offices when was this about last year sometime year. yeah last year about a year ago he came in and he you know we had a big meeting with him he was just talking about how Netflix is the future and we, we asked him would Netflix move into film production he said maybe you never know, but you know they haven't yet said which model they're going to adapt. But a lot of people assume that Netflix are there to blow cinema out of the water, and that these Adam Sandler movies will be released. You know, maybe they're going to be released all together, like like a House of Cards season. Um, all at the same time, four Adam Sandler movies at once. Oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, but perhaps <laughs> they are. Perhaps the, 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 you've just got me thinking because of the, that latest season of Arrested Development. What if yeah. one one um, of the movies, all four movies, are the same story, but one of them is told from. Um, Seth Rogen's point of view. Yeah, Kevin James. <laughs> yeah. One of them is Kevin James. One of yes. them is Rob Schneider. Uh huh. <laughs> one of them is so Adam like, Sandler. One so of them is David Spade. It's like growing up three, but it's split. But like also like uh, Rashomon. Well, wow. The, yeah, the, the growing up verse is uh, <laughs> has huge potential, I think. But are they going to be showing um, these films in, in cinemas as well? 
They haven't announced yet. They haven't said for sure. We all assume that they're, we're just going to be able to watch them on our phone or on our TV. We won't have to go to the cinema. But I'm not so sure. I think Sarandos said that they're not, they're not out to destroy the cinematic experience in that meeting. I'm paraphrasing the guy who said something to us a year ago. But uh, I'll be very interested to see where, where they go with this. I think they're going to have to show in theatres at some point, aren't they? I mean, if you're going to get try and get a director like David Fincher, who Netflix already have a relationship with, mm-hmm. if they're going to try and lure him into doing stuff with them. He's going to want his films in the theatre. And it's interesting that these are four comedies, which uh, you know, I imagine most Adam Sandler fans enjoy going out to see said, it on the big screen. They said specifically they're comedies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because there's a guy who, you know... Chris wants a guarantee, damn it. I, I want, yeah. <laughs> well, we haven't had one yet, but... <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on now. They keep promising. By the way, David Fincher has agreed to shoot all what of the first David Fincher season. is doing these films? That'd be amazing. He's uh, agreed to do all of the first season of the US remake of Utopia for HBO. Yes. Not just the first two episodes like he did for House of Cards. So much so that now some wag on the Emperor Online comment section was saying that because he's remaking this stuff, he should be called David Pincher because he's stealing <laughs> things. He's, he's stealing. That's good. Like Isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's it. really good. Um, yeah. uh, while we're talking about uh, release models and cinema... Uh, and box office and all that sort of stuff very maybe potentially interesting story this weekend uh, that at the UK box office for the first time ever this weekend you know those things where you can go see a theatre play you can see a play but they broadcast they film it they broadcast it around cinemas or they broadcast a Robbie Williams concert or whatever it is that they do yeah and this is a live one a live one uh, of Billy Elliot there was a big mashup of Billy Elliot a big celebration on Sunday and uh, it was a one-off broadcast around cinemas around the country and it topped the UK box office it made 1.9 million in its one one little one little showing around the country and beat the equaliser just to clarify that's Billy Elliot the musical which is on the moment yes. in London uh, it was celebrating its 10th anniversary and they, they reunited all the Billies yes they yeah. did our Ali Wyvery went to see it yeah. indeed Chris she, and I went to see when it opened we did she yeah, said there was lots of dancing that's right, Helen. I do remember you and I were there at the uh, at Billy Elliot's opening. Yeah, and we definitely didn't cry during the bit where his mum's letters read out. Definitely. Definitely. No, I didn't no. cry. Sure. I genuinely didn't cry. I was what? too busy trying to punch him. <laughs> He's punched. Helen, do you have another news story? Yes, I do. Thank God. Um, <laughs> I have the news of a reboot because we live in the 21st century and we cover news from Hollywood. The reboot this time is the post-apocalyptic thriller I Am Legend, which was, of course, the semi, semi, semi adaptation of Richard Matheson's amazing uh, sci-fi slash horror classic. That one starred Will Smith. It was a huge success around the world. They tried. They talked about doing a prequel. They talked about doing a sequel. It now seems they've given up on all, all that and they're just going to reboot the entire thing. Um, so they have a, a spec script, um, a completely different project, by a guy called Gary Graham who wrote A Garden at the End of the World. Uh, and they're going to turn that into a reboot of, of Richard Matheson's original story. So that it was, of course, the story of a lone guy left in a, in a world where a virus has killed most people but turned a minority of people into sort of ravenous um, vampire-like creatures. Um, there, the similarities between I Am Legend and the movie I Am Legend pretty much end. It, it remains to be seen how much this will, you know, stick close to the to the book or how much it will follow the Will Smith model. I didn't hate the I Am Legend movie, I should say. Like, it was fine. It just wasn't even remotely mm. the Richard Matheson story. And the Richard Matheson story, especially in the third act, has a much, much better ending. I think they should cast uh, Jaden. No, oh. don't even say it. Yeah, in the reboot. 
Gosh, we're getting back to punchability, aren't we? But introduce Twitter into the story. Oh if, you, if you've not seen Jaden Smith's Twitter feed, it's amazing. It's, it's avant-garde. You should look at the Jaden Smith's Twitter feed as Garfield cartoons list. Incredible. <laughs> the things he says are just like, I have no future, there is fashion. And then you see Garfield go, huh? This, of course, is a story that's been remade several times. Yes. Big screen. I Am Legend was just the, the third recent. incarnation. Yeah. Billy um, Madison. Billy Madison. <laughs> yeah. I, I Am Gilmore. Uh, all those films. So I'm not against that, in a way. It'd be nice for him to finally get it right, even though I've got a soft spot for the Omega Man. But it's too soon, isn't it? Hmm. On the other hand, they used I Am Legend to soft launch Batman v Superman, didn't they? So I wonder what else, <laughs> what other films that this movie might be able to predict Talking, that's, yeah. that's yeah. a slow burn marketing slow campaign burn. isn't it I'd like to see a remake of Soylent Green that's a film I, I just watched a few weeks ago and it's uh, it's, a, it's a really great film, it's very dated now but if you're going to remake you know, one of those classic sci-fi stories why mm. not do that, which hasn't been seen since the 70s I watched yeah. a lot, about 12 episodes of The Fresh Prince last weekend because I'm into 1990s shit I was thinking it would be great to have Will Smith come back. His career is not in the best spot right now. Why doesn't he come back and do the not-so-fresh print, uh, where he's a bit old and it's oh, the same... Even, he was a zombie. He's rotting. He's a zombie living in their house. Yes. That's so good. He's sent to Bel Air because he's a zombie. Mm. And he goes to live with his uncle and aunt in Bel Air because mm. his uncle is the world's foremost zombie expert. Perfect. Uncle Phil, uh-huh. zombie expert. Yeah. This is genius. Anyway, so copyright me uh, uh, and you, Chris. Obviously, if, te- if you're listening, Ted Sarandos, we would like to <laughs> just come back in and have another meeting with us, and we can just you know put a piece of paper for you to sign. It's not a contract; it's not legally binding or anything. But uh, thank you for the house. Um, yeah, that's inter- yeah. I'd like to see that. Why are you Why are you listening to Why are we watching lots of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air? You know why. I know why, but I'm gonna get you to say it I have a I wouldn't call it a rival podcast but I have a podcast to do with my friend Ross which is just watching 1990s uh, TV shows called 1990s Problems and we spend about an hour at a time talking about the likes of Bucky O'Hare and um, oh brilliant and and Biker Mice from Mars and most brilliant. recently Fresh Prince and it's, you're way more drunk in that than you are in this I was absolutely blotto in the last one <laughs> uh, but yeah it's Fresh Prince really stands up if you haven't watched any recently go and watch one called 72 Hours where Carlton becomes part of the hood and dresses up as a pirate it's amazing so if the prospect of uh, Ali Plum sober excites you and the, and the prospect of Ali Plum drunk must knock your socks off go and download 1990s problems could mention very quickly that um, Ben Affleck has added another film to his to-do list um, he's already of course on Batman v Superman on Dawn of Justice. He's planning to direct Live by Night, another Dennis Lehane adaptation, but he is also apparently contemplating a role in The Accountant. Um, what's wonderful about this is it comes from the writer of The Judge, who will presumably be following this up with, you know... The Doctor. Exactly, and the tax attorney and... The horse surgeon. Yeah, the tree surgeon. Nope. That's a film I would watch. Yeah, okay. Um, the podcaster. <laughs> that's not a real profession. Uh, but yes, it's uh, it's apparently about a mild-mannered office-type accountant who is a secret assassin. Well, we could mention that, Helen, but I don't think we've got the time. Oh, so shame. Sorry. Maybe next week. Okay. Okay, that's it for the movie news. And time now for our second guest. He's a man I've long been wanting to talk to in this very pod booth, in this very seat. Uh, for not only is he Dr. Alan Grant, he's also Dr. William Weir, the inventor of the event horizon. So naturally... I was away when the great Sam Neill came into the pod booth to talk about his movie work and his return in the second series of Stephen Knight's period thriller Peaky Blinders 
Peaky Blinders, which uh, started back on BBC Two this week, earning my eternal envy by getting to interview the Kiwi legend were Nick and Helen. <laughs> Enjoy Neil before Sam. Do you Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. So you're back for more Peaky Blinders in season Yes, we've just finished. We were um, in, uh, well, I was in Manchester for about six weeks and um, everyone else was there for about 10 weeks, I think. What can we expect for Campbell this year? Because your your character had just a fascinating arc mm. last season where he came in as the sort of the righteous man who was going to sort everybody out and <laughs> gradually some serious cracks began to show in that facade. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what's so great about him. I mean, he's so rotten and ghastly and beastly. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, like every every good villain, he has a human dimension and mm. he's vulnerable and bad things happen. And here's the coffee. How lovely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, unfortunately, I, th- I think he gets he gets badder mm. <laughs> this time. It does some unspeakable things. It's been such a lot of fun. <laughs> so bad guys do have more fun. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the devil gets all the best lines, you know. I mean, it's been kind of compared to a kind of a British Deadwood, which I thought was a, a really interesting comparison and seemed to fit better than most things. I mean, Boardwalk Empire as well, sort of between the two, but it has got a little bit of weirdly frontier spirit to it and just sort of, you know, mm. um, that kind of Well, uh, Otto, who was the original director, always had um, uh, the Western in mind. Loves classic westerns. Mm. He's now doing something in Texas, so perhaps he's doing a real western. I don't know, <laughs> Getting out of his system. Yeah. But there's something fantastic about seeing that style applied to Birmingham. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty rare that that happens. It, had you been to Birmingham much before? No, I, I had. I've been to Birmingham once, and I got lost on the on the bull ring or whatever it's called. And <laughs> I thought, I, this is disturbing. I didn't shoot anything of this in Birmingham. We shot it all in Leeds, Liverpool. Mm. And Manchester, I'm not quite sure why that is. I think they, either the Luftwaffe or the, or the Birmingham City Council made sure that there's very little heritage building there. Perhaps I'm not entirely sure. Maybe everyone was getting lost on the ro- on the same road that you got lost on. <laughs> That's right. There's still a crew revolving, <laughs> looking for some actors. You have a terrific website, really, really fun, and it looks like where the place where you live mm. is this amazing farm. Would you describe it as a farm? Yes, well, I've I met um, two paddocks is actually four four little vineyards, but the main one, which is called Red Bank, we're not purely monoculture. We we have pigs and sheep and mm. cows and orchards and vegetable gardens, and we grow saffron and lavender, that sort of thing. So it's sort of holistic how we approach things. The cows are completely just live on the land. All, all they do is crap actually that's <laughs> because we farm very um, organically and biodynamic, biodynamically we use a lot of those techniques and it's important my vineyard manager assures me that only cow shit will do mm. <laughs> noted um, <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. something I learned from your Twitter account is that you have a chicken named Sean Connery yes Sean's gone missing and I, oh, no. I I'm concerned about him <laughs> he's either he's either abandoned me for tax exile, or he's been taken by a feral cat. I don't know. Blimey! Yeah, we'll put hopefully some posters the, up. Yeah, hopefully the former. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. He's he's living the life in the Bahamas, playing golf. 
a golf playing chicken. You have this this kind of thing where you name animals after the actors that you've worked with or actors you admire. Or yeah, it's a bit random. The biggest cow is called Lady Kane. It's a beautiful cow. I've met Shakira Kane, who's Michael's wife, a few times, and I thought she was probably the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Mm. So I named the cow after her, and the second biggest cow is called Gong Li, named after the great Chinese actress who I met in a lift once. And I thought, my God, that's that's an incredibly beautiful woman and a wonderful actor. So it, it's quite a compliment yes. from my side. Do they always see it as? <laughs> but my wife is completely horrified. She's worked with Gong Li. She said, you cannot call a cow after Gong Li. She'll be so upset and I'll never work in the industry again. So I, I don't know. I, I I, I'm, I'm hoping, um, you know, not too much offence is taken, but uh-huh. it's meant well. Do you name your pigs after uh, after people as well? One of my pigs is called Ginger. It's named after the, rather cruelly, named after the the butcher in in Marlborough. It's called Ginger Pig. So I don't say the name aloud in her <laughs> in her company. Yeah, it, it's a bit random. There's a new pig called Bruce, but he was pre-named. Bruce is um, the latest sow. The biggest sow is called. Uh, Poots, after Imogen Poots. Oh, yes. Who's a good pal. You, of course, worked with quite recently. She was delighted to be called after a pig. <laughs> I said, you could have a pig or a cow. She said, I'll take the pig. Oh, excellent. And, um, but Poots has got a new boyfriend called Bruce. Is who is Bruce is an enormous black pig the size of this studio. And um, they're having a honeymoon together as we speak. Oh. <laughs> Bruce is an, a lively lad. Mm. I don't know if you know about the sex lives of pigs, but it's... Not as much as I'd like. <laughs> I can tell you it's... They're at it um, <laughs> for, 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 the, for the duration. Excellent. We've but, learned but, something today. Well, I, I tell you what, I've learned so much on this trip. There was a wonderful thing on, um, on Wales on BBC4 the other day. I love BBC4. Mm. And um, it was about um, sex and violence in the whale world, not something you expect to see. <laughs> at nine o'clock on BBC Four, but um, the right whale, which is a very big whale, it's twice the size of a humpback, is a very, very um, what's what's the word? It's a very promiscuous whale, and um, they had this fantastic footage of of uh, whale orgies. Mm. I do recommend it. It sounds yeah. like that should be on later than nine o'clock. Yes, and I, I. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's up at, at nine o'clock? Dean Spanley is an interesting film. You play a vicar who was once a dog, if, I, if I'm not yeah. wrong on that. Yeah, Dean Spanley's a film I'm very, very fond of, and it kind of connects into my wine world too. And I, right. I got to know... I'd actually worked on two or three things with Peter O'Toole prior to that, but um, as is the way of film, we'd never actually been in the same room at the same time. But uh, I got to know Peter very well on that, and it was a great privilege to work with him. He was a lovely man and just a fantastic actor. Mm. And just being with him f- for five minutes was a, a, you know, a master class in screen acting in itself. Which, uh, which other actors are real wine buffs that you can have a very detailed conversation about wine with? Well, there's a great deal of um, uh, uh, alcohol buffs. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not sure about wine buffs so much. Let's see who's. I mean, there's Francis Ford Coppola. Have you have you met him? No, I don't know Francis at all. Liam Neeson, who's a friend of mine, is a a great imbiber of my wine (laughs) and buys it by the caseload, which is always very gratifying. He is at the 
at the moment absolutely dry is not having a drink. Okay. It's probably a good Bad thing. Bad for your business. <laughs> You've taken some losses in the fourth quarter. That's my single biggest client. <laughs> is a concern. Uh, and and he's he's he loves his wine. There's quite a lot of people I know that really mm. are into it. Um, I wanted to ask you about Hunt for Red October because I believe that was it's an incredible film mm. and it's still one that's really celebrated. But it's uh, it was a tough shoot for you, wasn't it? It was an odd shoot because it's the only time in my life that I've worked in a completely male environment. It was the most weird thing. We were locked up in this submarine set for most of the time. All the crew of the submarine were male. All the crew of the film were male, even makeup and mm. hair and wardrobe and things. So it was like being in a sort of sweaty locker room. It was summer, you know, it was on the stage at Paramount, and um, I found it really weird. There was too much testosterone on the set altogether, you know. But um, I enjoyed it, and we had two days at sea, me and Sean. Sham! <laughs> Good morning, Sham! On top of the the conning tower of the submarine that was quite fun that's how the movie opens doesn't it with the mm. two of you up there yeah and you got to go in a real atomic submarine with tim curry absolutely yeah that uh, must be how was that apparently you guys were the only people who volunteered to do it that's right yeah and um we we had a, a, and this is before 9 11 you wouldn't be allowed near it now but it was a real nuclear submarine, and we were underwater for 48 hours. It was fantastic. It was an amazing opportunity. I did learn one or two things there, which I can probably, at the risk of being um, shot as a spy by the, the U.S. State Department, there there are places at the front of a submarine. We're taken all everywhere, but there were places in the submarine where there were 24-hour Marines with machine guns. And you cannot go beyond that spot. I don't know what is up the front of the submarine. <laughs> I'd tell you if I knew, but you weren't allowed to go. It was no go area. Wow. Mm. Maybe wow. that's where they keep the Ark of the Covenant to transport it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask about The Dish, which is a film that I think not enough people saw, but it's one of the nicest stories that I've ever seen. Rob Sitch, who directed it, it comes out of a is a cooperative of comedians actually in in Melbourne principally they're comedians and they um, they do television series they do movies they've done a film prior to that called The Castle which has got quite a following and Rob who I knew slightly came he, he called me up and he said I, I want to come up and 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 see I'm sending the script uh, we'd like you to play the part of the scientist, the main scientist at, at the dish. It's a story we like very much. And I read it straight away and I thought, that's terrific, I'll do that. I called him up and I said, you don't need... He said, I'll be there at three o'clock. I said, Rob... And hung up. And he, 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 we went out to the garden, in my garden in Sydney. We were there for two hours. I said, Rob, here's a cup of tea. I'm going to do... He said, let me tell you what happens. <laughs> I, I, I really want you. I said, Rob, I'm, go I'm going to do the film. And two hours later, he was still talking, t talking me into it. I don't know why he couldn't say take yes for an answer. <laughs> but anyway, he talks himself around and myself around, and I'm, I was very pleased to do it. It's a really, it's a re just a really feel good kind of a heartwarming little story. Mm. It was lovely. Mm. Uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you about a story. I think it is my favourite story about you that I've heard. It's by, uh, I was told it by Costa Botes, who did uh, Forgotten Silver with Peter Jackson. Mm. And he told a story about you being honoured at a ceremony and Peter Jackson making a video in which your house gets blown up. 
Yes. Can you share that story with us from your perspective? <laughs> they were honouring me in Los Angeles, and they asked Peter to um, come and give me the thing, and he said, look, I can't do it, I'm, I'm editing Lord of the Rings, but I'll, I'll make a little film f- for you instead. So I was kind of quite astounded, because I, I had a little house in Wellington above, above his house, and um, it, it's, I must, I've got it on a videotape somewhere, I must commit it to something that's not quite so um, vulnerable, but it's a very, it's a great old film. It starts with Peter in a car, and he says, hi Sam, I'm uh, just waving to you from Wellington, and um, uh, we we miss you very much, and there's your house up there, and it's, I, I thought we'd just go up and have a look at the house, and um and see that everything's um, in order. And I, I know you haven't been there for a while. And um, you know, it, the camera travels with Peter's talking all the way, and then he pulls up in front of the house, and he does double take and says, "Oh my God, I think there's people in there." And <laughs> he jumps out of the car. The camera rushes in behind him, and indeed, there are a bunch of thugs in there. And he's completely indignant. He says, what do, you, what do you think you're doing there? This is Sam Neill's house. How dare you? What? Oh, my God. Is that human waste on the floor? <laughs> <laughs> and they basically tell him to, tell him to fuck off. And, uh, and he, Peter and Tara retreats to the car, reverses like crazy up, up at the street. And then you cut to a, a wide shot of the whole hillside and the harbour. And there's my house up on the ridge and poof, it explodes. <laughs> Peter's torched my house. That's very good. Actually, and all, all, the, all the thugs who look really alarming <laughs> work for Peter at... Um, you know, <laughs> everyone works for Peter and Wade. That's amazing. Did you ever get him back? No, but I plan to, yeah. It'll, it's only a matter of time. When he least expects it. Mm. Excellent. It's one of those um, kind of caster, casting close call rumours that circulates the internet is that you were nearly in Lord of the Rings. Can you can you say anything about that? Or you... They were nice enough to offer me um, a, a part in it, and um, I'd love to have done it. But I was actually doing, I think it was uh, Jurassic 3 at the time. So wow, not it a was, bad substitute, I guess. So there was no no question. But they, they do take a long time to shoot. You know, you're very poor at the end of it. Mm. <laughs> um and um, you know, there's a few of my friends are hobbits as well. Okay. And, you know, and they turn up for the last one. They discover to their complete alarm that they're there for three years. <laughs> they thought it was like three months. Still, there are worse places to be. I'm sure. Than, I'm sure. Absolutely. Than Wellington. I think we have to wrap up here. But Chris Hewitt, one of our colleagues, would never forgive us if we didn't talk about Event Horizon, which is one of his favourite films. Is it? Uh, it genuinely is. He, he he quotes it all the time, and particularly your Do You See line. Is that <laughs> is that a film you have fond memories of, or is that one that was well a tough one? It was it was quite tough, um, especially when they um, when I turn into a, a something really really hideous and. I had this sort of all this rubber stuff on me. My genitals had been ripped out, you know. No, no, it was fun. nice, and they was covered in blood. It would take eight hours to get all that prosthetics and blood on me, standing mostly. Oof. Uh, I'd start at two in the morning, and I'd be ready at ten a.m. Mm. And on that freezing Bond stage, which I think 
burnt down. No great loss there. <laughs> I hated it. I hated that stage. But it was it was fun doing that film, you know. Fishburne's a good friend. Sean Pertwee, people like that, you know. They were good it, lads. It does have a cult following in our office. Does it? It's mostly Chris, but he does quote your lines <laughs> all the time. So... Uh, and I think I think we have to let you go, Sam. But thank you very much, no, and I, I hope that Sean Connery, the chicken, uh, makes an appearance. Let's hope. Uh, come back, Sean. All is forgiven, and um, we'll pay your tax for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very thank much. But well, on last week's podcast, did I explain the secret to a William Weir impression? No, I don't think you did. The secret to a William Weir impression is that you start low and then you go high. <laughs> do you say? Do you say? With every sentence. Can I'd you like, hear? Yeah. Can you hear the people sing? <laughs> yes, I'd like a cheeseburger. That sort of thing. Right, so was he nice? He was good? He was good? He was, was a he? delight. Yeah. He was lovely. There he was, was that whip lovely. in the middle where he ripped his eyeballs out, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise a delight. I would have liked to have seen Montana. That's sad. It is sad, isn't it? <laughs> All right, time now for this week's reviews. We're going to start with Gone Girl, David Fincher's adaptation of Gillian, Gillian Flynn, not Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn, uh, her best-selling novel starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. Uh, PK. Uh, PK. <laughs> but first, a heads up. Uh, we've put together a spoiler special podcast for the movie featuring an interview with Fincher himself, David Pincher himself, and that is available as of Monday, October... 6th. Monday's the 6th? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So download that and then go there for all your spoiler needs because this is obviously a film we have to tiptoe around plot-wise because there's a huge twist in the middle of the film where you find out she's not gone at all. She's just Soylent Green. Ah! Oh, Chris. Damn it. But what are the bits we can talk about? Helen, our very own here girl. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is uh, obviously an adaptation of the best-selling book. Uh, I'm sure that. lots of you will have read it, but uh, for those who haven't, I'm going to try and be very careful because... As you will know, if you have read it, it's a film of of changes. Um, you change perspective between the characters. You change sympathies in terms of who you're kind of rooting for in this in this affair. And it does become a situation where you are deciding who exactly you are rooting for, who exactly you can trust, um, and who exactly uh, is to be believed at all. So um, Ben Affleck is uh, Nick Dunn. He is a kind of slightly feckless guy. He seems basically fine, comes home one day after spending the morning out of the house and finds uh, scenes of disruption and his wife gone. Now, he tries to keep calm. He calls the police but doesn't make, you know, doesn't go completely hysterical and, and kind of overreact. He's trying to kind of be the sensible guy. And and then things begin to look as if he may have been the one responsible for her disappearance. And certainly he becomes uh, public enemy number one. Um, in the court of public opinion, you know, it's very clear that he's the guy that they're all sort of pointing the fingers at. And it becomes a film about uh, both the past of their relationship, which we see through through Amy's diary entries, as well as through Nick's account of their relationship. And it becomes a, a story of, you know, perception, how we present ourselves to the outside world, how we present ourselves to each other, even the people we're closest to, um, and how much of ourselves we maybe hide behind the surface. And I think that's true of, you know, certainly the two main characters in this film, in Amy and Nick, and, uh, and indeed of, you know, many of the peripheral characters as well. Everybody has secrets. Um, it's a pretty cynical film in many ways I think in, in, in terms of the way it looks at, at people's relationships um, and at the same time it's a very very funny film but it's a really pitch black 
kind of comedy. I mean, this is not a comfortable film in many ways. I think it's um, it probably wouldn't hurt as a first date movie. It's a terrible anniversary movie, as I think uh, we, we've been talking about in the office. I think that was your line, Chris. No, it was James's line. Oh, I apologise. It was James's line. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this with my wife, actually. I'm going to be watching her very closely <laughs> all the way through using my secret night fishing goggles. Uh, is that creepy? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> well, that you have a wife. Yeah. Mm. Does anyone believe that? I'm still convinced. Do you believe that? Yeah. yeah. She's very convincing. The uh, the model I've, the actress I've played. The real the life decoy. <laughs> the re- yeah. I think that a lot of people are going to not enjoy this film. Really? I Why? think a lot of people are going to be wound up by it, and it pushes you away in a kind of finchery deal with it mm. fa- fashion. I really like it. I kind of I found myself fascinated by what was going on, and it has. Maybe the other thing is that it has a pulp storyline that zags and zigs, and sometimes if you give it too much thought, there are holes you can push into it. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's a movie that you have to let that sort of thing go over you, because it's not about that. It's about the media and about relationships, and it's about how we pretend to be other people and how we try to live up to expectations and... And, 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 and. I think there's a lot in this film. I think the reason why we're doing a spoiler podcast about something that isn't necessarily, hey, did you catch that reference? Or, oh, look, that's referring to a book. Is telling. There is a lot going on here. And I think this is a movie that's very zeitgeisty. I think a lot of people are going to go and watch this film. I think a lot of people want to talk about this movie. As soon as I left it, I watched it with you, Helen. Mm. We were both going, what about this? What about this? Could it be read this way? Could it be read that way? Do you think Finch is trying to say this? Do you think the actor was delivering in this manner? Are you team this or team that? Like it was... There's a lot in it, but at the same time, it is also somehow shallow because of the despicableness of the characters. I would say that you'll find it difficult to fully connect with a lot of people. And if you find yourself becoming frustrated with movies because you can't connect with an individual character as well as you'd like to, I know there are guys out there, I have friends who find that frustrating. Things like Seven Psychopaths, they get a bit pushed away because they can't can't attach to someone then that may be a problem otherwise I think it's a very well made film mm. off a book that seems almost impossible to adapt yeah I didn't have that problem I thought it was, I thought this was fantastic it fits very neatly into Finch's filmography and I think if you want to do a, a head fucky triple bill seven the game and this have a lot in common and I can't really explain why because this isn't the spoiler podcast but there are various strands with those two films that fit quite nicely into this I really liked it and I got very involved I, I thought you know you're on side with the Ben Affleck character he's not the nicest of characters but then again like Helen was saying almost everyone in this character is a pretty awful human being in one way or another it yeah. is a very very cynical film but also really kind of beautiful one really beautifully shot I think the score is amazing I've just been listening to it on my... Tread Reznor and Atticus Ross again. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty similar to the Social Network one in terms of the, the vibe of it, but it's really, really great. It fits the visuals perfectly. And it's beautiful shots. I, I really liked it, and I really like the book as well. It's a surprisingly faithful adaptation. Well, it's uh, scripted by the actual writer, isn't it? Mm. Gillian. Mm-hmm. So maybe not surprising then. But, no, um, but it is surprising because of what I mentioned earlier, as I think this is a book that is written in a diary form or epistolarily written you know book so it's not traditionally this happened then that happened it's all about perspectives it's all about what is he thinking what is she thinking what is so and so thinking to convey that through cinema 
is a very, very difficult thing. It's almost like David Fincher said, well, this will be difficult, I'll do it. Yeah, and I think Flynn did a, did a very good job of getting rid of, of parts and, and cutting things down without cutting things out. There's elements of the book, there's a sort of a, a marital treasure hunt that they do for their anniversary that has been reduced in scope and reduced in, in terms of the amount of time it takes up but not cut out completely, which is, I think, helpful to the plot because I think it's also quite illuminating about both characters. Incidentally, we have hidden some Empire magazines on the <laughs> shelves of Sainsbury's, Dolores Smith, uh, lots of other news agents. In exchange for tokens that we call £4, mm. uh, you can get one. And a penny back. And you get a penny back because that's a little memento you can keep, as well yeah. as the magazine. And you can start saving ad towards your next treasure hunt in a, in a month's time. And this is all to do with the Gone Girl issue we did last uh, month. That's right. Wow, I loved that. That was a really clever, shameless plug. I don't know how you snuck yeah. that in there. It was very, very good. Mm. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about with this movie are the performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike to the four of a very, very good cast, including the likes of Neil Patrick Harris and uh, mm. Tyler Perry. Yeah. Who's in it very, very good as a uh, celebrity lawyer called Tanner Bolt, uh, Missy Pyle. Missy in there Pyle. As well. Yeah. Missy Pyle. To, Missy to be honest, Pyle. The, the reason I haven't said much about the performances, there's there's nothing to say beyond I think they're all really They're all good. very strong, especially, yes. especially yeah. Rosamund Pike. I yes, think. definitely. Yeah. It's really tricky to talk about certain performances without treading into spoiler territory, uh, which is why you should download the spoiler podcast, I think. Uh, but yeah, for me, this is, uh, I, I, I love this film. I didn't much like the book I'll really? be honest yeah I wasn't a huge fan of the book it's okay it's a bit of a page turner it's fine there's something about I don't know was it with the relentless misanthropy of the book that somehow pushed me away and yet the film's relentless misanthropy lured me in I don't yeah. know what it is maybe uh, it's just I don't know the, the Fincher's stylings but mm. uh I think also the Ben Affleck character is a bit more sympathetic in this in the film. I think personally, I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting. Who knows? <laughs> but um, I thought it was a very, very solid, really mordantly funny. It's very funny. Yeah, I laughed a lot. Very funny in a really dark, twisted sense. There's a bit um, involving some yogurt that made me laugh out loud. Mm. It might not be one to, to to go with your folks to, or, or those of a more sensitive disposition. True. Uh, there are some very dark moments and mm. many uses of the c word. It's very, very good. It's uh, a worthy uh, addition to Fincher's cinematic oeuvre. So do go and check it out. Four stars. That is correct. Four stars for Gone Girl. There are some flaws, but uh, tiny, tiny little cracks in the ceramic. So, four stars for Gone Girl. Do go and see it. Uh, Next up, and sorry Luke Evans if you're listening, now is the time to put on your earmuffs for it is time for us to tackle Draclear Untold. Ali, so there's this guy called Vlad. Yeah. And he was a prince of Transylvania. And he was taken by some nasty Turkish folk who kind of oversaw his land. And they made him part of this crack squad of child soldiers, basically. And they whipped him and beat him and, and turned him into this killing machine. Uh, he wore this big dragon armour and was known as the Impaler because his handy battlefield trick was to get a massive pole and shove it into people's chests and then stab that pole into the ground so that his foe was just wiggling on the top like a fly on the end of a needle. So he's grown up now and he's gone back to Transylvania and is ruling his land peacefully, having a good time. He's got a young child, beautiful wife. He sometimes goes for a walk, sometimes goes for a jog. 
and he is on one of these walks slash jogs at the beginning of the film where he notices a Turkish helmet in the river. What? And the Turkish helmet implies that there's been Turkish kickish that implies that Jason Statham's character from Snatch <laughs> has been in the area. There have been Turkish scouts in the area and he's worried that the same thing might happen to his son, that his son might be abducted and put into this soldiering, whipping thing. Blah, 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 blah. He decides to go to the dirty scary cave where Charles Dance is lurking up in the top of is it Broken Tooth Mountain? Mm -hmm. And he is made an offer that he could easily refuse but decides not to where he can become a vampire uh, and have vampiric powers for three days as long as he can resist the urge to drink blood. If he doesn't drink blood then he will, at the end of that three day period this is all in the terms and conditions become a normal person again. Until then he'll have the ability to defend himself against these uh, Turkish folk uh, who are helmed by or headed up by one and only Dominic Cooper. He wears a big shiny suit and uh, has a big beard too. So yes, that is the dramatic situation where they try to make Dracula a sympathetic character that becomes a vampire because he needs to, because he has to defend himself and his family and his land mm. against the the horde of Turkish and it really is a horde there are hundreds of thousands of these people that suddenly arrive and that's the general setup that I've tried to deliver in a humorous way it's not that great no and this isn't because of Luke Evans he actually really puts his heart and soul into it and he's very good at it I like the way he carries off the cape and the sword and the armour and I believe him when he he is this quote unquote sympathetic character that decides to become this monster undead monster but the premise is kind of flawed in of itself at, at some points. You kind of want him to be a big bad Vlad, but he isn't a big bad Vlad. Mm. And you actually want to see more of Charles Dance's Nosferatu-type vampire in the cave, who is actually more of a big bad Vlad. Uh, it's about 87 minutes long. It smells a bit of scenes being chopped and chunked out and uh, bits yeah, missing. No, no and, and some it's myth, and this is a problem I have with a lot of vampire movies recently, it doesn't live up to its myth. It says, these are the rules, and then it breaks them. Or, these are the rules, and then they're a bit twisty. For example, light on the face. There is one scene where it's about how he can't have light on his face, and there is a crack of light across his forehead, and you just go, oh. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the, uh, the big attempt to reboot Dracula, really, and it doesn't work. It's one of the most sequel-baiting movies I've seen for a long, long time. Uh, probably Closer. since the last probably since the losers which is Jason Patrick's bad guy calling up Jeffrey D. Morgan's good guy at the end of the movie and saying see you next time eh eh or the A-team where they basically run off and this is see you next time this has a really sequel baiting ending it's never going to happen this is not going to be a sequel this, this film so this, it's not a dreadful film no I enjoyed it to an extent yeah it's not awful and Luke Evans the reason we had him on the podcast is because we saw the film and we thought actually he's really good he carries the film and we it's love his him. first proper lead and he, he does come out of it well because he's saddled with a, a character that makes very tough to make any sense of but the, the, the problem with this is that they're trying to reboot Dracula and they're trying to reboot Dracula as a romantic hero and it doesn't work it just doesn't work this is it's like uh, you know trying to make Darth Vader make any sense or oh. Hannibal Lecter in some way it just does not work come on what girl isn't going to be attracted to a sparkly Luke Evans I mean I'm, I'm assuming he's sparkly right I, I didn't get he to see he does not sparkle except what? of course in a metaphorical sense oh. he has a lovely red cape oh well you see what girl yeah. can resist a lovely red cape with Luke he's Evans a, in he's it? a dashing warrior uh, but the, the the problem the film the, the film it paints itself into a corner in that uh, Flad's decision to become a vampire 
because he, he saw Charles Dance's character ten, 10 years earlier on, uh, 10 years beforehand, and some of his men were killed by Charles Dance, who's this uh, sort of master vampire who's trapped in a cave, and he can only leave if he gives his powers to someone else, and if they then become a full-blown vampire by drinking someone's blood within three days, it's a very, very convoluted plot. But the decision for him to, to do that just isn't believable. At all. I know it's a movie about a man who becomes a vampire, but it's just not believable. And you do get the sense that this has been really hacked to bits by on, on the plus side there is an amazing sequence that we talked about in the interview where they do he does have the power to control bats and he uses it to turn into a massive giant bat fist and the bat fist punches about yeah. hundred thousand people and you go, That is a money shot and that looks great. Yeah. I, I choose to see this as a spiritual sequel to Last Action Hero. Because if you remember, at the end of Last Action Hero, Charles Dance threatens to summon Dracula. And in this movie, he creates Dracula. <gasps> My word. So, you know. Time travel. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Benedict's back. I mean, speaking of uh, sequel baiting endings, I think we did a, a feature on that on the website once recently. Uh, the Vampire Academy also has a, an outrageous one. And that's a film that will hopefully never get a sequel. I'm still waiting for the A Team 2 with John Hamm. Come on. <laughs> make it happen I know, at least it or not it's, it's one of those weird films because you, you, it's not a film to hate or despise but it is sadly a bunch of Dracula arse so um, Dracula arse Dracula arse it's a load of guano it is a load of bat <laughs> uh, two stars for Dracula Untold but yes Luke Evans very very good in it indeed shame. Kevin Costner and sports are usually a good pairing Field of Dreams Bull Durham Tin Cup for love of the game so does it remain the case with Ivan Reitman's American football drama, Draft Day? Yes, it pretty much does, actually. Um, this is obviously an older Costner. This is not a Costner who's going to be out on the football field playing American football. Frankly, he wouldn't necessarily convince us in that role. I know he's, he's a heck of a sportsman. I remember when he made Tin Cup, his golfing coach said he could have you know, essentially turned pro because he was so good at, at learning the swing. However, he's not going to convince us as a quarterback because he's a little bit smaller than that and a little bit older. This is him as a manager of the Cleveland Browns and he gets the chance to trade for the number one pick in the draft. And the draft is, of course, where they take college football players, bring them up into the professional league. It's a huge deal in America. Um, so there's a kind of a, a, a consensus number one pick. There's this quarterback that everybody's saying, this is the dude, you need this dude. And he gets the chance, and he's under pressure to kind of make a splash and make his name. His father was a legendary uh, coach and he's trying to make his own mark in the world and he's kind of under pressure partly as a result of that. And he uh, basically accepts this, this trade. He trades like the next three-year picks for his team to get the number one pick this year because he's been told by the team owner to make a splash. And then begins to wonder if that was really the right thing to do and if this quarterback is really who he needs. And hes it's essentially a film about a man on the phone. It's a man on the phone to that quarterback. It's a man on the phone to the team's owner. It's a man in an office talking to the team lawyer who's also his girlfriend who's pregnant with his baby. It's a man back on the phone again to managers of other teams um, trying to make trades and make deals. It's a man on the phone to other wannabe players like Chadwick Boseman's Vontae Mack, who's who's really keen to to play for the team, and uh, throws into question the, the the real skills of this this particular quarterback that he's looking at. So it's a kind of a wheeling dealing story. It shouldn't be interesting, but it really really is. It's a very human drama. It's quite a small scale affair, um, but it's just all in. You know the human, the, the situation that he's put in this dilemma of what exactly to do, how to save this maybe not quite ailing team, but certainly underperforming team, 
uh, and make it into something that can win prizes and and you know match the the legendary status that his dad had i'm a little annoyed because it sounds like they found my script for harry redknapp the movie <laughs> and they've made it american yeah yeah <laughs> i just because i mean were there any so scenes sorry, when he was driving a car and then just wheeled down the window and then talked to people out of the car well, no, there's scenes where he's, he's driving along in the car and listening to sports radio and they're talking about him and he looks a little disgruntled. OK, they've changed that then. Yeah, so they've, they've made a few few little tweaks mm. to your to your concept. But honestly, it's, it's actually a, a very good movie. Good performances from Costner. I don't know American football that well. I don't think this will surprise anyone when I tell you that I don't follow it very closely. But I know enough to be interested in this. It's a kind of a little bit like Moneyball, but I would say better for my money. I know you're a fan of the Winchester Hunks. Yes. They're good. Who isn't? Well, they're, they're a great team. I think they're, they've really got a shot this year at the Super Bowl. Would they be your number one pick? In the draft? Why not? Sure. Okay. Three stars then for draft day, yep. which is a recommendation. Also out this week is Life After Beth, which is a Somme rom-com. Som, rom, som, com. We've never had one of those before, have we? A, a rom, som, com. Um, have we? I don't I, see. I, I don't recall any. Well, there might be one. Oh, uh, you mean Return to the Living Dead Part uh, 3? Yes, uh, Warm Bodies. Very yes, good. Yes, very good. Okay. So, rom, som, com starring Aubrey Plaza of Parks and Rec, which is Nick's favourite sitcom, and uh, Dane DeHaan of Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is my favourite sitcom. And uh, we gave that four stars. Also out this week, though, probably film of the week in a weird way, although it is Gone Girl is With Nell and I, the re-release of With Nell and I, which is getting a fairly limited release in cinemas across the country ahead of its re-release on Blu-ray in a massive, great big package. Uh, so that's amazing. If you've ever gone on holiday by mistake, do go and watch With Nell and I. It's been uh, too KFI'd and de-dusted and oh, has it? touched up and loved and tickled Campbell and well loved. It's uh, had, 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 had a new puff of hash smoke blown all over it. Mm. Amazing. Possibly the most quotable British film of all time? British film? Well, you are forgetting, sir. Yellowbeard. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly am. I'm, and the Python movies as well. Oh, were they British? No. Okay. And the I Python. feel like there might be a rom-com you're forgetting too. No, I don't think so. No? Probably no. not. That's ten years old this yeah. year? That launched no. people's careers? Probably not. No. Don't think so. Oh, you got red on you, by the way. Oh, That's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by fast-rising British actress and star of The Maze Runner, Kaya Scolidario, to talk about The Maze Runner, in fact. And schedule permitting, we'll be just a pod standing before Hugh Grant asking him to love us. I'll be wearing my extra-sized pants for that one because Bridget Jones wears big pants. I'll be saying fuck a lot and hitting my alarm clock as well. Whoopsie oh, daisy. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. Boop. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Mally. It's goodbye from Mally. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Nick. Everybody. Bane, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the pod booth. Hello. Goodbye. And it is goodbye from me. I'm off to force feed Parks and Recreation to Nick, who is a Parks and Recreation hater. Parks and Drek. <gasps> you bite your tongue. No, I quite like it. All right, I'm going to double, double, I'm going to double team. I'm going to double build that with uh, Last My Boy. Double you team. will see the extra 80 minutes of Last My Boy. The extra 80 minutes? <laughs> the extra, You've just yeah. filmed 80 more minutes. The, blue, <laughs> the Blu-ray extra, which was a film. Until next week. See you then. Bye.